Hello, and welcome to Unlocking Markets, the RBC podcast. This is the place where we will be looking to bring you experts across the firm providing opinions on markets, global policy, sustainability, and macroeconomics, and how these feed into your investment decisions. I'm David Horsburgh, Head of Client Solutions, and today I'm going to be talking to Adam Phillips, Managing Director and Blue Bay Head of Developed Market Special Situations. Today, we'll delve into the unusual challenges corporates and consumers are facing, the direction of defaults, and where the opportunities might lie across multiple sectors and countries for special situations. Welcome, Adam, and thanks for joining us. Um, would be great to start off with hearing a bit about your background and why you joined Blue Bay. Hi, David. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my background is pretty simple, really. It's uh, just over three decades of special situations or distressed experience. Uh, I've been at Blue Bay for three years running the Developed Market Special Situations team. Prior to that, I was CIO of Marathon Asset Management, and I also ran Lehman's European High Yield and Distressed Business in the early 2000s. Great. Um, I, I think that will uh, provide some good insight into um, the history of the market and, and definitely some uh, interesting observations around what's happening today. Uh, we have a lot to get through today, so um, should we just dive in? Um, you know, given the, the length of that track record, um, am I right in thinking if defaults meaningfully pick up this time around, this will be your fourth major default cycle? Actually, to be honest, I think it's arguably my sixth if you take into account 1990, 98 in Asia, 2000, 2001, 2008, uh, the COVID period, and now it's probably uh, six. And of course, there were some uh, mini cycles in between those dates as well. Uh, yeah, look, the market set, the opportunity set is is very rich at the moment. Uh, I mean, the reality is there are a lot of companies out there that took advantage of very easy money at very low rates and frankly borrowed too much money. Uh, and those companies probably went into COVID more levered than had historically been the case and certainly came out the back end of COVID having borrowed yet more money. So came out the back end with too much leverage uh, and or unsustainable balance sheets. Yeah, well, I, I guess never a dull moment in markets, but um, you know, given what you're seeing or, or what you've just referenced in terms of um, increased lending, um, are, are you seeing um, a meaningful uptick in terms of the opportunity set as the sort of weeks and months go on? Uh, and, and probably just drawing on you know, some of that past experience, um, what does that experience bring to the table here? And, you know, how might this time be different to some of those previous cycles? Yes. So um, I spend a lot of my life really talking about uh, a perfect storm of issues that corporates have experienced. Uh, as I said a minute ago, uh, lots of cor corporates went into COVID with more leverage than perhaps historically had been the case, had to borrow more money to get through COVID, and then were confronted with a whole subset of um, other issues, supply disruptions, uh, commodity inflation, then feeding through to other forms of inflation, including wage inflation, higher interest rates, war on the edge of Europe, uh, etc. So a whole host uh, of a uh, whole catalog of, of, uh, uh, of issues. Um, defaults are undoubtedly creeping higher, but from a very low base. Uh, we frankly expect defaults to increase substantially over the next two years. Uh, but it, uh, although we don't necessarily think that defaults are going to end up at anywhere near uh, 10, 12% per annum as they did during the GFC, 
But it is worth noting that the high yield bond market and the leveraged loan market, which are our core markets, are twice the size that they were during the GF, at the back end of the GFC. So in fact, in terms of volumes of defaults, we might end up in a similar place. I, I think um, it's a very peculiar market at the moment. You talk about these sort of stresses hitting um, and at the same time defaults picking up um, at a relatively slow pace, um, but likely to do so uh, maybe increase um, in terms of pace going forward. I, I guess, what is the disconnect here? You know, right now we see spreads at very tight levels um, on the back of these shocks and um, and defaults may be creeping up in the future, but actually the, the market uh, as a whole hasn't really seemed to react to that. Um, where, where, where do you think this disconnect is? Yeah, I would say that the, uh, the high yield market in historic terms is trading relatively tight for this point of the cycle. Uh, I think if you talk to our high yield colleagues, they would say that uh, that's partly a consequence of the fact that the high yield market is um, much higher quality. There are, there's a much higher uh, constituent of double Bs than there was at the end of the GFC. So there's, in their minds, there's probably a, a reason why uh, spreads are tighter than they have been at this point of the cycle in previous cycles. But that doesn't detract from the fact that, as I said a minute ago, there are uh, there is a very um, it's a very big market. You know, if you take into account the U.S. Uh, and the European high yield leverage loan market, you're talking about three and a half trillion dollars of debt. Um, so within that, there is clearly a lot of dispersion, and um, you know, and, and frankly, a lot of triple C's in there. So notwithstanding the fact that the overall market is uh, potentially trading relatively tight. There is a lot of dispersion. There is a lot of names in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s um, where we can get involved. Uh, there, there has been some talk in the market about companies delaying refinancing in the face of higher rates and macro uncertainty. People talk about a maturity wall in 2024 and 25. In your opinion, will this be the real stress test for markets? Yes, I think that's one of the stresses that's uh, uh, coming down the pipe. Um, for instance, we are doing a lot of work on European real estate, and certainly the impending maturity wall is a real issue for lots of quite large real estate, well, large and small real estate companies uh, across Europe. Um, currently, the real estate market is locked up, um, and really the outcome focusing just on that specific market um, uh, is that, you know, can those companies sell assets? Because as I said, the market is currently locked up. What are valuations gonna look like over the next couple of years? Are the banks gonna step in and help these companies to refire their balance sheets? So um, that's just one example really of uh, where the maturity wall is, uh, is very relevant. And I think time will tell obviously um, as to whether uh, that maturity wall unlocks itself as it has done in the past. Um, just moving on to a bit about where you're focused at the moment. Um, I, I know the team, uh, you and the team are focused on deals in the mid market. Are, are you able to just explain a bit about what that is and um, why in your view, this is a sweet spot, especially given the, uh, the environment you've just described? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the first thing to say is that we go to where the stress is. And the reality is that we believe uh, 
the most stressed parts of the market uh, is the the most stressed part of the market is the mid market. Mid market companies are naturally less diversified by product and geography. Uh, they also have less access to the credit markets uh, than their obviously their bigger counterparts who over the past three years have uh, have tapped the markets have tapped the credit markets for additional liquidity. Mid market companies are much more reliant on the banks, and we know that the banks are tightening lending standards and shying away from risk. Uh, so overall, we think there is just a lot more opportunity in the mid market. Um, the other point to mention is that uh, most of the market participants, uh, as in special situations and distressed market participants, hedge funds and asset managers have frankly become huge over the past 10 years and frankly don't want to write less than $100 million tickets per deal, which leaves uh, the market open for us. Uh, in the mid-market sphere where we can write 20 to 30 million dollar or euro tickets uh, and, and and not encounter any competition just thinking about the types of deals that are coming across your your desk at the moment um in your view are they sharing any commonality uh, across countries or sectors yes i think some are so i think it's fair to say as i mentioned a minute ago that uh, there are sectors like real estate that are very stressed uh, and distressed in some instances. Um, there are other stressed sectors, uh, obviously uh, sectors that use a lot of energy generally, chemicals companies, papers and pa paper and packaging, auto parts companies that you know use a lot of energy that for obvious reasons have, uh, have suffered and are continuing to suffer. But generally, I think it's fair to say that the opportunity set is pretty broad-based. Uh, we are seeing opportunities, as I said, in base industries, oil and gas, manufacturing, food, shipping, telecom, cinemas, retail, F&B. I mean, the list goes on, really. So I would say that's a key differentiator in this cycle from previous cycles, which tend to have focused sectors. Um, you know, so I, I look back to obviously 2000 and 2001, where uh, there was a lot of telecom and cable and obviously the dot-com blow up as well. Whereas this time round, I have to say this feels more broad-based. Broad I know you've talked in the past about changing demand trends, creating challenges for businesses, uh, COVID being a big catalyst for this. Um, I, I guess a question is, do you like businesses that are in need of a pivot or a change in strategy? I actually wouldn't necessarily say that. In fact, I would probably argue that if a company needs to change its strategy or do a full-blown opera operational restructuring, those are probably the harder investments. Uh, I think what we used to say was um, ideally special situations or distressed investments, the easiest investments were you know, good, biz good business, bad balance sheet. Uh, and actually, um, you know, uh, I would say generally there are fewer the fewer of those this time round. Uh, most situations that we get involved in these days not only need a financial restructuring, but they also need us to roll our sleeves up and get involved in an operational restructuring. So I think the answer to the question is no, we don't gravitate really um, to companies that need to pivot or change a strategy. 
uh, in fact, almost the opposite. You know, we ideally want to find a business that actually is uh, a good business that is doing pretty well in the underlying business. It's just got the wrong cap structure. In terms of um, the opportunities in the market um, and where you're spending a lot of time, uh, do you find yourself spending a lot of time on liquid or illiquid opportunities? Uh, I'd imagine the latter taking a, a lot more sort of effort and a lot more sort of focus from the team. Well, frankly, it's a bit of both. Uh, you know, clearly there are, as I hopefully have explained, there is a lot going on in the high yield bond market and the leveraged loan market. And uh, uh, as a consequence, you know, those are generally more liquid investments. Uh, and of course, liquidity is one of the key parameters, keep one of the key investment parameters for us. Um, uh, you know, if we're going to get involved in more illiquid situations, clearly we want to be compensated for that. And, uh, you know, when we can make 15 to 20% type returns in liquid investments, uh, you know, as a rule of thumb, we're probably looking to make 25 to 30% type IRRs for more illiquidity. So uh, clearly we want to be compensated for that illiquidity. In terms of the time needed to realize an investment thesis um, on, on some of those liquid names, ha has that timeline increased at all at the moment or is it uh, relatively in line with sort of historic norms? Yeah, I would say it's relatively in line with historic norms. I, I would say on uh, our existing more liquid portfolio, really, I suppose our time horizon is anything from three months to two years, whereas uh, on more illiquid investments, you know, it might take two to five years to realize an investment. But I wouldn't say that that has generally changed dramatically uh, in this cycle. So just thinking about the market today versus um, some of the markets that you've lived through over the last couple of years, um, you know, how is the market today different to, say, the GFC or the dot-com bust, in your opinion? Well, the first thing to say is that the market generally is bigger. And notwithstanding the fact, the fact, the fact is there are more participants. And, uh, of course, uh, the advent of private debt has had an effect. Uh, so you do get uh, the private debt funds um, refinancing uh, generally leveraged companies, whereas obviously that was uh, less prevalent uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, I'm not inclined to comment that much on private debt because actually I generally think they are a bit of a black box in the sense that I'd probably argue that intuitively they've probably done a better job of underwriting their credits than potentially the perhaps the banks have done. Uh, but without knowing individual portfolios, it's difficult to know what's going to come out of the private debt market in terms of opportunity for special situations investors. Um, but I'll go back to that point. You know, there are more participants The in a sense that the market is more dynamic. Uh, the other point to make, of course, is the point I made earlier, is that a lot of the funds that are involved in special, special situations are much bigger than they were 15 years ago. And in a sense, that is an opportunity for us, as I explained earlier, because, uh, you know, we're concentrated, focused on smaller situations where there is less competition. It sounds like there's a large amount to do in markets then at the moment. Um, thank you, Adam. Um, we'll be back next month with another episode of Unlocking Markets. Good luck and goodbye. Thank you very much. This podcast is provided by RBC Global Asset Management, RBC GAM. 
for informational purposes and may not be reproduced, distributed, or published without the written consent of RBC GAM. This podcast does not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or to sell any security product or service in any jurisdiction, nor is it intended to provide investment, financial, legal accounting, tax, or other advice, and such information should not be relied or acted upon for providing such advice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This product is not available for distribution to investors in jurisdictions where such distribution would be prohibited. Investment and economic outlook information has been compiled by RBC GAM from various sources. Information obtained from third parties is believed to be reliable, but no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made by RBC GAM or its affiliates or any persons as to its accuracy, completeness, or correctness. RBC GAM and its affiliates assume no responsibility for any errors or omissions.